Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. Let's break down NBA free agency as it starts on June 30th at 6 p.m. We will also discuss those Red Sox. Even though they had a walk-off last night, it is troubling to watch this kind of group. Tune in. Welcome to Week 11, County Week 11 of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody. It's yours truly. Mark Lazell Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We're going to be discussing the NBA free agency, which tips off on June 30th at 6 p.m. And we will then finish with the Boston Red Sox. Yes, I went to the game on Sunday. It was brutally awful. You just can't fathom why they can't get it going. Um, Yes, they had a walk-off recently with Marco Hernandez last night. But there is a lot of question marks across the table, and we'll get to that point when that time comes. So NBA free agency, as I said, starts on June 30th at 6 p.m. And there are a significant amount of players on the market this year. Uh, It's probably going to be the most, one of the most entertaining, uh, I would say, NBA free agencies. Not of all time, but in a while. Uh, You got Kawhi Leonard, you got Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, as we all know has been in discussions with possibly going to a different team. And a team that keeps coming up in conversation is the Los Angeles Clippers. No, it's not the Los Angeles Lakers because nobody wants to join LeBron James besides you know, Rich Paul and his clients. Hence, Anthony Davis. Maybe even D'Angelo Russell, but I know D'Angelo Russell is not a part of Clutch. But nonetheless, the Warriors have a lot to decide on. Kyrie Irving, of course, he needs to decide where he's going. D'Angelo Russell, Kemba Walker, and the reason why I save Kemba Walker for last people is one reason, one reason only. The Celtics are interested. Shocking. The Celtics are interested. Never heard of that of a top-tier free agent. Celtics are always interested. It's just a matter of what they do. He is going to get offered anywhere from $100 million, $80 million to $190 million from Charlotte to stay in with the Hornets. It's going to be the biggest decision of his career, I feel like. It's it's because he's 29 years old. He's a three-time All-Star. Last year, he posted 26 points per game, six assists, and four rebounds. He has trash around him in Charlotte. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if you're from Charlotte, North Carolina. You still have garbage around Kemba, and you need to figure out where that can where you can find it. You know, Jeremy Lamb's probably the best one in line. You know, they had Cody Zeller a couple years ago. They had Malik Monk. But there's not a lot of spark there with Charlotte, which kind of makes me wonder if we can predict him being in a different uniform. 
Kemba's such an underrated player in the NBA. He's going to request a lot of money. The reason why? He's worth it. When he played for the UConn Huskies, he took them to a national championship on his own back. I don't care what anybody says. Of course, he had decent supporting cast. Decent. But there's no way in hell that UConn should have won that tournament. In an ideal situation, Kemba Walker needs to win an NBA championship. Reason for it, he's so competitive. He's out there possibly doing things on his own because he doesn't have the support around him, as I said. Whereas if he fits in with the Celtics in one aspect, they need a point guard. They need a point guard so badly because this Kyrie Irving situation just won't even work out. And I was actually having a conversation. Everybody knows Giffy. He comes on the show uh, here and there. Um, And I was discussing it with him, too. So we kind of collaborated in this effort. Uh, We were just thinking. How funny would it be if Kyrie Irving had his eyes on Brooklyn? The Nets will not go after Kyrie single-handedly. They'll go after D'Angelo Russell instead. Now, if they want to make a run after D'Angelo Russell, they better start now because the Lakers might have a reunion with him. That's not to say that this could come full circle where Kevin Durant and Kyrie join together. But let's just say what if... Cameron Durant wants to re-up on his player option for $30-plus million, and he should. He has a torn Achilles, as everybody knows, just to keep you up to date. So why not camp on the sidelines, make $30-plus million, and then find your way into Brooklyn the following year? Or even New York Knicks, which he has, like, his own network now. He's going to have his own show Like, they keep pitching that to him just to attract him. I mean, it's New York. You know, you're going to have to find, you know, different ways to attract free agents because nobody wants to play for James Dolan, that terrible organization, front office-wise. You know, it's the Mecca. It's the Mecca of basketball. Everybody talks about it, but they haven't done squat. If Kevin Durant decides to stay in Golden State, in Brooklyn, who Kyrie loves, he wants to go to Brooklyn. You know why? He's from North Jersey. So it makes sense. If karma hits Kyrie straight in the face, it would be the greatest thing if Kyrie Irving got put in his place and Brooklyn said, we're not too interested in you, buddy. How about that? Sit on that. But I'm not going to say that I'm going to put him down from a basketball standpoint because the guy's got talent. Kyrie Irving just didn't do it. Kyrie Irving has a, a cancerous mindset. When he wants to go into a franchise and try to ruin it, hence the Boston Celtics, he had a goal. He had a mind of his own. And when I say a mind of his own is because I don't think people realize prior to this past season, he came out to the Celtics fans. I'm paraphrasing. If you all want me back, I will come back. Ironically, the Celtics do not want him back. And Kyrie does not want to be back. So it kind of puts it in perspective on how big this free agency is. The reason why I went on that tangent is because it shows how much of an impact Kyrie Irving can have on just one year. One year of absolute garbage going in the locker room, not being a leader. If you were to ask Brooklyn two years ago what they would have done to get Kyrie Irving, they would assign any check, any type of check. But Kenny Atkinson in the front office seemed to have a better head on his shoulders than we think. And the reason for it 
is because they know for a fact is if you get Kyrie Irving in a Brooklyn Nets jersey without anybody else, good luck trying to build a team around that guy. It's been blatantly obvious that this guy can't run a franchise by himself. With Kevin Durant? Yeah, sure. Throw him in the mix. He'll be sitting on the sideline for another year. We'll see how much Kyrie likes playing with these guys. In fact, if Brooklyn makes this decision, which is huge, it's, it's catastrophic for them to make this decision. If they move on to, from D'Angelo Russell, which they had a great run with, it would be eye-opening me, to me to see where this franchise really is. I get it. They want star power. But when you almost beat Philadelphia in the seven-game series, why wouldn't you just keep building upon this success? Why not re-up on D'Angelo Russell and get bodies around him? Efficient bodies. But there's nobody that sticks out to me that Kyrie's going to be fine with playing next year. It's because I don't think everybody notices this. Kyrie Irving is one hell of a player. He really is. The issue that I have is he can invest 50 more million dollars with the Boston Celtics if Boston wants him back and have a non-materialistic point of view. But he's always been about the shoes, the glamour, the ego. It's me. It's Kyrie. It's now me because I'm taking after LeBron. It's always been about him. He's got to show that he can be a leader. And he just wasn't. Now, aside from my Kyrie rant, there's other players involved, obviously, in this free agency. A name that I want to discuss is Kawhi Leonard. This could be potentially the most entertaining offseason. And there's a lot of players out there that need to make some serious decisions. I mean, these are lifetime-changing decisions. It's either make the most money or make less money, 50 to $70 million less, and play for a franchise that you think you can win a championship. Now, Kawhi Leonard, this is a huge decision. I mean, obviously, he won the, the championship for Canada, so he must be you know, the next ambassador. I'm joking, obviously. But I think Kawhi Leonard has the ability to really build a franchise himself uh, from the bottom to the top. That's a guarantee. Now, he's going to have to make a smart decision because you don't want to leave Toronto hanging, obviously. Where's Kawhi's happiness right now? That's, that's, what, that's the question that I want to know. Was Kawhi happy when he won the, the championship with Toronto and they beat the Golden State Warriors and they had that awesome parade and he has his laugh and he has his claw? Or does he want to go out in L.A., camp out, hang out with Doc Rivers, a coach who may not be better than Nick Nurse? I don't know. There's a lot of questions to be asked there. And I think in the upcoming days, we'll figure that out most certainly. And July 2nd, um, the Clippers are having a meeting with him as well. So maybe it becomes interesting and starts to boil the pot. The only reason why I honestly ask that question is where is he most happier? Because 
he's got to be happier with the Toronto Raptors, right? Because if you want to win, if you want to have the easiest road to the finals, maybe not this year. I'll take that back. Take that statement back. Maybe not this year because the Warriors are going through what they're going through, right? Kevin Durant, torn Achilles, you know, Clay Thompson, torn ACL. But the Clippers are interested in Clay, even though he has to sit out till March or April. And then you have Kevin Durant, who possibly could go to the Brooklyn Nets. So the West could be open. So I think it ultimately decides on long-term investment. And the reason why I look at Toronto as a one-in type, but you know, one-and-done type of situation this upcoming offseason, where he signs up for one-year deal and then opts out and goes to LA, is because if Kevin Durant comes back next season, he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to be a little bit tougher for Kawhi. I'm not going to say it's it's extremely hard, but there will be teams around Kawhi that he just sees as being challenging. Like Milwaukee. Milwaukee has a significant... Talk about another team that has a tough decision to make. They have Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. Now, not to get off track, going back to Kawhi, he has the ultimate decision in his hands this offseason to make a smart business decision. Now, do you opt in for a one-year deal for, say, I don't know, $30 million? And then next offseason, hey, head out to you know Hollywood where he thinks he belongs? Or does he invest in long-term and he takes the years in Toronto and then he camps out in, in the summer in L.A.? I can see both scenarios happen. What my gut feeling is telling me is he'll re-up with the one year and then he'll decide you know, if Durant's himself, if you know Milwaukee's on a tear, if Philly does you know, regroup and figure out where they're going to be, if Boston is matured with Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum and if they get Kemba Walker. There's a lot of questions in the East. I feel like the West could be wide open if Clay joins the Clippers and you also have Durant joining Brooklyn. Because then you got... Houston, who could add Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's a free agent this offseason as well. Been reported by, I believe, Mark Stein or Adrian Wojnarowski that Butler's looking to go to Rockets. And the Rockets are trying to discuss a sign-and-trade deal with Philly. Philly could offer, you know, Jimmy Butler and Houston could offer, say, Chris Paul and Eric Gordon or Eric Gordon and Clint Capella. At the same time, the way I look at the NBA, the way it's structured, there used to be no parity, right? Now there's competitiveness. There, there's teams that are really coming up in the rankings where you kind of are shocked, right? So you look at Portland Trailblazers for last year, for instance. They had a great run. The reason why they did is because they had a core around, you know, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, and, and Nurkic. But they also just got uh, Ken Bazemore. Ken Bazemore, pretty good shooting guard, uh, was, you know, chilling in. Atlanta, Atlanta said, heck with it. We'll, tr- we'll trade for Evan Turner. You can have Ken Bazemore. Nice little addition for Portland. Um, so you're going to see as this offseason does unfold that there will be multiple teams trying to make a run for the advantage factor. So now since this is such a, I don't think people realize how big 
Clay's injury is and Kevin Durant injury is for the West or even for the entire NBA. You know, I, I feel like L.A., for instance, the Lakers making a run after Anthony Davis kind of showed that they need they wanted to build that urgency. They wanted to say, we're going to go all in right now. The reason why we do is because that window is tiny bit open. Let's let's crack open that window, have a chance to win the title. Houston, making a run after Jimmy Butler, trying to get Chris Paul's huge-ass contract off the books. He's turning 36. He's going to be you know, a point guard that you don't want on your team anymore, especially James Harden. They kind of butt heads. Obviously, conflicting reports there, but there's a little bit of um, an establishment in the West that allows you to get higher and higher up while Golden State goes through their struggles. And then from an East perspective, you know, since Golden State is going to be potentially out of the running for an NBA Finals run, you potentially have the ability to make that push. So there's, of course, questions to be had across the board, obviously. That's why the offseason is the greatest in my eyes. I love NBA trade deadline talk. I love NBA offseason, the NBA draft. And this is where it can be probably the most elite basketball you'll see this past finals. If you weren't happy with the result, you're crazy. Toronto Raptors versus Golden State going down to the wire in Toronto. It was amazing. It was amazing series. The back and forth battles. The fact that Toronto won in Golden State is even bigger. I mean, that's just a huge stage level for a guy like Piscal Siakam. You know, Freddie Van Leet. You had a lot of core players that got it done. It was a team-oriented win. And you're seeing a lot of that now, especially throughout the regular season. To jump to the Boston Celtics. I know I'm doing a little bit back and forth, but there's so much to talk about in this offseason that I think what needs to be discussed is the way the Celtics are going to use their money, right? So all you Boston fans out there, I'm, I'm included in that bunch. There's a lot of discussion around where you're going to utilize that cash. A couple of players that come to my mind, if I'm going to go all in, is obviously Kemba Walker, Nikola Vucevic, and then you also have Malcolm Brogdon. Milwaukee's going to go all in for Chris Middleton. The reason why, Giannis is a free agent. So they're going to have to realize we should start building a championship caliber team now and not wait. A guy that comes to my mind for the Boston Celtics is Malcolm Brogdon. If you can get Malcolm Brogdon for cheaper price, say 20 to $22 million a year, a lot of you are like, oh, that's a lot of money. No, it's not in this year's NBA. The market's usually set around... 32 to $40 million for a high-impact player. A guy in the middle of the road is roughly 18 to $20 million per year. So Malcolm Brogdon, he's a very good player, 26 years old. He's a 50-40-90 kind of player. For all of you who don't know that, 50 field goal percentage, 40 three-point percentage, and 90 free-throw shooter. So 50-40-90 kind of guy you definitely want to look into this type of player. And the reason why, I know he's coming off of an injury, but there is significant impact in having a point guard who can knock down free throws. A lot of times, teams don't look at that number, and it's literally points being wasted. 
And, and I get it. In today's NBA, it's all about threes. But at the same token, again, if you want to go to the hoop and get fouled, you got to make down your free throws. And Kyrie is a great free throw shooter. I'm not knocking him. He's great. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, pretty good core. You're going to have you know, Robert Williams. You got Grant Williams in the draft. They got Carson Edwards. You know, they got Marcus Smart. They they got pieces, but what they need is a little bit of star power. And, and that sure can come with the development of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But when it comes down to it, you know, Gordon Hayward, he's not really an all-star like we, we thought he was going to be because of that injury. And that's no knock on him. He went through that serious injury, and I think the Celtics managed it wrong. I think that's one thing Kyrie Irving and Al Horford's correct on. If they are leaving, and even Terry Rozier, if they are leaving, I do agree. I, I think Gordon Hayward came back way too early. I think he came back and they didn't manage his minutes as well as they should because it kind of slowed up the game. And even defensively, you can kind of see he was just lost. And I hope he does you know, redeem himself this year because what he was in Utah. A great player can guard multiple positions, which they love. A three-point shooter, a guy that can create his own shot. Every kind of attribute those Celtics would want, he has. The issue is coming back throughout that progression, there's a little bit of a hiccup in the middle of the road somewhere. I don't know where. I can't tell you what game. But at the same time, there's a mental game that comes with the physical game, right? Late 20s, early 30s. And he's still playing video games like his kid. I don't necessarily have an issue with that. But what I want to do is put this in perspective for you. If I was signed for a four-year contract and I got hurt in my first year where I couldn't play of that contract, the following year, you got to work your ass off to get back to where you want to be. Now, doctors have said he was 80%, 90%. I get it. Throw the percentage out the door. Physically, how do you feel as a person? How healthy do you feel? He wasn't good enough. And on the court, it resembled exactly. It symbolized what he was going through. Mentally, he was you know, a little worried. Obviously, down the stretch, I mean, that Golden State game, you know, he had a great game. Everybody knows that. That was like the climax of his year. But when it came down to it, he could not get over that high and eventually just kept making his way down. And as a shooting guard, the worst you can do, the worst you can do is have no confidence in your shooting. And you could see it in him. He did not want to shoot the ball. He was forcing a lot of shots, and which made Al Horford, Kyrie Irving, you know, Terry Rozier, probably Jalen Brown in the mix, was not happy with the way that they managed the minutes. But that's not to say that Gordon can't turn around. I'm just saying if I were in his position, I would work my ass off to get to the level I was at in Utah to earn that money. I don't ever want money just to be given to me. Regardless of, you know, me having a friend, you know, in the mix as my coach. You know, Brad Stevens, they get along extremely well. Trust me, there's a reason why Gordon Hayward came back early and there's a reason why he was in the starting lineup. It's because Brad has a lot of faith in that dude. The only issue is when you force it, you lose it. So you got to make sure that if you're 100% healthy, 
you bring your A game because we didn't see that. And like I said, maybe it happens this year, and maybe the Celtics might take a chance on a guy like Kemba Walker. But I would not shy away from a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, so going through the players that I named, I think Kwai re-ups in Toronto. I think Durant goes to the Brooklyn Nets. I think Clay Thompson stays with the Warriors only because Kevin Durant leaves. That opens up a max slot for him. The Clippers are in high, high discussions with him, obviously. I think Kyrie obviously goes to Brooklyn. I think D'Angelo Russell goes to the Lakers. Jimmy Butler goes to Houston, sign trade. That's written all over it. I can see that happening. Maybe Chris Paul goes to Philly. Don't see that happening. But, um, you know, Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, as I said in, you know, the previous minutes here. There'll be a significant amount of activity. And for all of you who don't know, free agency officially, officially starts on July 6th. The free agency period, tampering period, you want to call it, Starts on June 30th at 6 p.m. Official trades aren't official until July 6th. And as I'm doing this, I'm talking with quotation marks in my hands because there are teams, like there's teams talking behind the scenes. That's a given fact. It would be smart for teams to do that regardless of the tampering uh, penalty, even if they do get one. Al Horford's getting a contract for roughly four years, $100 million. Probably 110. Then you have Jimmy Butler conversation with Houston and Philly. So don't tell me teams don't talk prior to the June 30th opening. That that just doesn't happen. They talk. They have to talk. Look at LA's situation. You know, they're going to have to find cap room, and they eventually will with the Atlanta Hawks. I think it's going to be a three-team deal where Mo Wagner goes to Atlanta in that trade. You know, DeAndre Hunter goes to Atlanta. You know, the Pelicans got that pick. Um, they flipped it. So it's all going to work out and adjust for the L.A. purpose. But L.A. is not necessarily going to get like their top top tier free agent. I don't think they make – they obviously make a run at Kawhi. They try to get a meeting set. They don't get a meeting set. I see that happening. Um, Dallas, unfortunately, I think they you know miss out on Kemba. I think they make a run. Obviously, they're going all in to offer a max contract with Kristaps Porzingis. So, and just to run down, you know, the teams that have the most cap room, you know, Brooklyn, obviously, it's a practical cap space on SpockTrack.com. It's $67 million. Knicks have $60 million to spend. Sacramento has 59 Philly has 58 Clippers have 54 Dallas, 46 Indiana 32, Boston 32, that probably could go up to 36. Pelicans now enticing uh, destination with Zion. I could run through the names, but at the same time, you know where the money is going to be spent. It's going to be spent with big-time players and big markets. You got to look at the markets. The markets will eventually find their way, and they can pay for the luxury tax because they have way more revenue coming in than a team like Charlotte or a team like Orlando. And Orlando has a lot of money to spend, but they don't have necessarily the amount of money per se like the Celtics would. So big markets, think big markets. If you're looking at NBA free agency, it's going to get nuts. It's going to get wild. It's going to be fun. Check out Twitter. 
check out Wojnarowski, check out Mark Stein, you know, Legion Hoops. Like these guys are legit. They're validated. They're willing to, you need to follow them. Jeff Goodman, one of my favorites from the stadium. So definitely follow these guys. They're important. I'll be retweeting them. I might have some inside information. You never know, but I'll let you know. All right, let's take a break from the NBA talk as I can always talk NBA and go on a tangent, but let's flip over to the diamond. Um, I went to the game on Sunday and to be brutally honest with you, I don't think I've ever seen a team just throwing the white flag. <laughs> like, that was incredibly bad. Um, the bullpen has been gross, to say the least. Even though they have, like, a good committee, I guess you could say, they just don't have defined roles. They don't. And don't let them tease you. I mean, the Red Sox have done this in the past where they just have – you know, by committee players that just kind of get it done in the bullpen. You know, when Craig Kimbrell was, you know, lagging an injury, they, they felt the need to, to do it that way. Uh, Craig Kimbrell's no longer with the team. Signed with the Cubs. Um, they decided not to pay the top dollar for a closer. And it kind of makes me scratch my head, honestly, because, and I get it, Craig Kimbrell throws a lot of balls. That's just what he does. He's going to mix in some strikes here and there. But when it comes down to the bigger picture for the Red Sox, their offense has been outstanding. It really has. Like, it's been really good. I'm not saying it's been, like, top-tier elite, but it's it's been extremely, extremely well thought of. Um, you know, they're seventh in the MLB for runs scored. They're sixth, you know, for team average in the MLB. I think it's like 264, which is honestly pretty low. But if we're adding everybody's average up, I mean, you know, you, you kind of take it with a grain of salt. Um, what they really need to focus on is, like I said, their pitching. Offensively, we know what they have really from top to bottom. Obviously, Raphael Devers coming back, he, you know, his absence is really huge because he's just had a significant impact this season. Um, you know, going into his, I believe it's the second year. Um, so he's been multidimensional, which is really nice, especially defensively. You know, he gets out in the open space. He knows where the ball's going to go, which is really well thought of, you know, especially being a third baseman. Um, he's got a lot of ground to cover. But he's got his buddy, Xander Bogars, who just signed his deal too. So he's pretty pumped to, to play in the infield with him and get his all-star bid. Um Red Sox are 43 and 37. So I was kind of thinking about this recently in regards to where this team should actually be. Being third in the AL is not the, the hottest spot. And right now, as far as, you know, moving forward, you know, being eight games back from the Yankees, is it puts a you know bitter taste in your mouth. But you kind of have to feel good about their their core. And the way they're, you know, coming back in games. The game on Saturday was horrific, giving up a 6-1 lead. But you got to blame that on the pitching. And that's what I'm going to say is really all they need. All they need at the trade deadline is a guy that can close out the game or bring something to the bullpen. If there's anybody that I trust in getting this assigned, reestablished, it's Alex Cora. Alex Cora was 
immensely important last year in the success. He's just a player's coach. He know he knows the game of baseball. He clicks with the players. And you need to have that connection and that understanding to ultimately deliver the message. And if you can deliver that message and make it easier on you to play perfectly sound baseball, which there's 162 games in the MLB season. They got to play 81 games at home. Do you have any idea what their home record is this year? It's 19 and 19. They are 24 and 18 away from Fenway Park. That's a great road record. They need to work on their home advantage. And part of it, it is their offense a little bit when they're at home, but I will say, and I've, I did witness it on Sunday, they did not get a lot of runs for Purcello, and Purcello gave up you know, a good chunk in the end, but he held his ground up until the fifth or sixth inning. And there was probably 11 guys on base. And I saw a stat the other day, I don't know if it's true, but the Red Sox averaged 15 guys left on base. And I don't know how necessarily accurate that may be, especially from a home perspective, but I see it. I see a lot of struggles at home. And the way you build a winning franchise is most certainly on the, if you can win the road games, like it's like anything in sports. I mean, hockey's really, you know, huge in NFL 16 game uh, season. But if you have this many games, you can most certainly make up for your losses at home and you can be that good on the road. But the issue that I will always come back to is why not have the head starts? If you're having 38 games at home, right? You have 81 games at home. You're close to the halfway point and you're 500. That is beyond gross. They should be 10 games over 500. Right now they should be, let's say, 28 and 10 at home. Now that that might be asking a lot, especially with their bullpen. They have the impact players that can make that happen. Now, the Red Sox know how to score. They really do. When, when they hit a string of runs, no pun intended, they're really one of the best in the league. But it will always come back to me when you set up your bullpen in the offseason. Dave Dombrowski, you did not do your job correctly this offseason. I don't care what the outcome is this year. They need to understand how important it is to have defined roles in your bullpen. Because if there's one guy that can do it, that can close out of games, it's a bona fide closer that knows the game in situations. For example, if you have a guy pitching in the sixth inning, he's going to give you one to two innings. If you have a setup guy, he's going to give you one inning. If you have a closer, he may get you three to four outs. That's what you need. And I hope Dave Dombrowski proves us all wrong and goes out on the MLB trade deadline and gets a closer. I would say closer is probably one of the most important positions. And the talks of Nathan Ivaldi going into bullpen, I'm not having one of my better pitchers, not in the starting rotation. I need him to be my third guy. Because in the playoffs, 
I'm rolling out Chris Sale, David Price, Nathan Ebaldi, and Rick Purcell. That's my one through four, if all healthy. What you need is guys that step up in defined roles. We had this guy, Wade Smith, Walden, Brian Brazier. We know who they are, but we don't know what exactly, when they're going to come in. Like when Jonathan Papelbon was with the Red Sox or Hideki Okajima or Janichi Tazawa, you knew when these guys were coming into the game. The Red Sox are legitimately one piece away from beating the Yankees and the ALEs. One piece. And that piece is the closer. I don't see Dan Dabrowski really trading Michael Chavis for a closer. But he's got that piece. He's also got decent prospects right now in Portland and Lowell and even Pawtucket. He can utilize those you know, assets and go out and get a guy that can close out games when it matters. And I get it. The regular season doesn't mean as important as obviously postseason. But down the stretch, usually it's July or August is when you start making a change, if you were to make a change. And the Red Sox ERA has been on fire in those months in the years past. You can't rely on a subpar bullpen to guide you into playoff contention. That just can't happen. And it won't happen. And I hope Dave Dombrowski, Alex Cora, front management, they understand how important it is to really invest in time to go on the market and find a guy that can fulfill that role, that huge, huge gap. I don't care that they have a 4.28 ERA, and that's middle of the road. I don't care. That is not going to get it done. And if you want to contend, if you want to protect that championship title, you've got to put the pieces together. Keep the core intact, obviously. You know what you have in these Several guys up and down the lineup. But hell, if I were to give up Jackie Bradley Jr. for a closer, quote me if I'm wrong, I would not give a crap. I would not care. I don't care what he brings defensively. If he's unbelievable in the field, I don't care. His bat is worthless. And I will say, if you get the right guy in the bullpen for a guy like Jackie Bradley, which I'm pretty sure you can get a good amount because of his defense and the change of scenery, maybe change his bat. And then you could also throw in a decent prospect down, you know, from Portland or Pawtucket and throw it that in the mix. Then you can kind of see the bigger picture. You can move Ben attendee to, to center. You can have Mookie play um, left or right, or you can have Mookie play play center. And then you can have Ben attendee play left and then you can have JD Martinez play right. And then when Steve Pierce comes back in the mix, he'll be the first base or DH. You got Mitch Moreland. You're all set and ready to go. So that's the mindset that they need to have because the way I look at it is a championship caliber team. I feel like pitching is just as important to having a good offense. Walking players, throwing balls in the dirt, unforced errors are the worst thing you could possibly do from a pitching perspective and they better get it done because if not it's going to be a long long end of the season while the Red Sox will be in the race they will still be falling short of the Yankees at top and then they have Tampa Bay to chase in the wild card yes Tampa Bay race get that straight Tampa Bay Rays are above you 
That is wild. Yes, they have great pitching, obviously. When it comes down to it, if you can add one more piece, one more piece, you are great in that AL East, in that AL standings. You are going to make some serious noise. Thank you all for tuning in. Talk to you next week. Thank you.